so much. Wow. I'm Stacy, and that over there is Kim. Here I am. Kim knows nothing. Yep. Did you guys know that? Um, I don't understand the Disney vault. Okay. Because, <laughs> like, if I want to buy Tangled, and I go to the store, and they're like, oh, it's back in the vault, probably I can find a copy somewhere. You it's mean a- it's out of the vault? No, they're like... Oh, oh, it's oh. back in the vault. Okay. I can probably find a copy somewhere. I'm not super worried about finding tang- Tangled, yeah. even though obviously I already own it on Blu-ray and bought it the day it came out. But <laughs> um, Mandy Moore, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about 47 meters Ugh. down or 47. Eh, well, I don't someone know. will tell us Nobody has seen that movie except you. That's a lie. I bet Mandy Moore saw it. Don't a lot of celebrities like not watch their own stuff? Oh, yeah, that's true. I don't know her, so I don't know. I wouldn't presume. If I was on TV, I would not want to watch every episode of, like, what I was on. I I would. Okay. (laughs) I do listen to every episode of this podcast. Yeah. Because I'm obsessed with making sure that it sounds good and that we can work on Kim doing better. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot to do. I listen to every episode just because I'm like, that's funny yeah it is kind of fun to listen to it back i feel like i think that your jokes are funnier after we've recorded <laughs> so in the moment i'm like oh this okay. idiot <laughs> but then later when i'm listening in my car i'm like that's funny kim that was funny he got new blood <laughs> good job kim <laughs> also let's uh-huh. talk about how we got some amazing fan art it was cool can we talk about this for a second yes i want to talk about this for many seconds okay so we got an email from a fan named emma blankensop (laughs) she (laughs) here's why here's here's why i'm laughing because in the email she specifically said i could make fun of her name yeah blankensop it's It's a a good name i'm not gonna make fun of it but i like that she was like Kim's probably going to make fun of this. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Pretty standard Kim move. Yeah. Emma sent us fan art that she made herself, and it's amazing. It's We're going to put it so on the website cool. so you guys can check it out. Um, basically, it's a hand-drawn illustration of me and Kim, and then surrounded by our faces are just like all kinds of great little gems from every episode we've recorded. It's like so, so in detail and so great. I love it so much. This alligator that's <laughs> you, but is making me laugh. The so alligator hard. that bullies people. He like cyber bullies people. Um, we've got potato chips has potato many mentions, chips. which is great. We got Kim's corner. Mm-hmm. We've got um, what else is on here? I love uh, getting those digits. Getting those digits. Yep, our yeah. phone number is on here. New blood. There's a bag of new blood from our old episode, Dr. John Schneeberger. The professional photographer business card is on there that's from our first episode about rodney alcala and um in the corner it says mandy moore's music (laughs) yeah with like a bunch of music notes yeah 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 there's also fried egg eyes or it looks like a fried egg eyes what it's got to be from um one of our more recent episodes about michael alleg Mm -hmm. there's disney town no parking it's like a sign for disney town it's like covered with cobwebs and stuff I mean, it, like, we've been looking at this for a while. Cutco knives. Cutco knives. We mentioned that. There's like, there's like, you just keep looking at it and there's more. It's like looking at a Where's Waldo, like, and there's so much detail. This is definitely City of Angels DVD. Yeah. There's a, yeah, 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 yeah. So there's like a stack of DVDs and um, City of Angels. And then there's also Free, Free Willy. Willy. Yeah. <laughs> Forensic Files. Yeah. 47 47 meters down. (laughs) 47 meters down, apparently. 
That's the correct name. Yeah. Which I'm, I, now that's the name. Yeah, now yeah, that's now the name. Yeah, now it's 47 meters down. Yeah, I know that it's got to be. I mean, this is really amazing, and we're really grateful to you, Emma. Thank you so much for this art. Yes, thank you so much. It seriously made our day. It's so cool. Yes, and check out our website so you guys can all take a look. And thank you so much. And send us more fan art if you're an artist. Yeah, we love it. Yeah. I'm getting this tattooed on my back. <laughs> Full back tattoo. It's cool. So and, then, and everyone's like, oh, you know, what's like, what's the deal with your podcast? I'll be like, first of all, rude that you don't listen. <laughs> Second of all, hang on. Let me take off my shirt. Take 20 minutes. Really get in there. Take a look. Get in there. <laughs> oh, God. What a weird way to talk to my boss. That's weird. <laughs> You're an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Let's talk. Let's talk. Like, I don't know. About something different, I guess. Let's talk about what people came here for. How about murder? Oh, I thought not 47 meters down. No. Okay. This week we're talking about a murder. Okay. Uh, murder. Murder. A murder. Murder's on the cast. Jeez. <laughs> Yelling. <laughs> now, this murder happened right here in Southern California. SoCal. Yeah, people call it that. Or some people call it the Southland, which is, I think, cool. Yeah. Southland was a TV show. On TNT. Oh, yeah. We all know. Okay. Now, it occurred in the city of San Diego. Are you familiar? San Diego. Oh, yes. (laughs) San Diego, known for many things, including being the birthplace of one Kim Moffat. San Diego County. I'm from Oceanside. I'm not from San Diego. Why don't you tell them when the day you were born and your social security number? Ready? Go. I was born June 5th, 2002. My social security number is 17. Um, You can steal my identity if you want it. You're the oldest and youngest person alive? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, got it. (laughs) I'm truly an enigma. Uh, An enigma? That was well well used. Mm, Thanks. Really? Or an oxymoron. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, San Diego, also home of Los Padres. (laughs) Have you ever heard of them? I mean, I have. America's team. I'll tell you. It doesn't even matter. Don't don't answer. Okay. No, go ahead. (laughs) For our international listeners, they may not be as familiar with the San Diego Padres. What sport is that? Baseball sport. Okay. We are a professional baseball team. Who we. is? Yeah, we're we're no we're a threat to no team. Um, so everyone, we should be the most beloved because we're a threat to no one. But we should be. It's frustrating because we are. We have the elements of being a good team, but for some reason, we're right now in a decade-long slump, uh, multi-decades. But, uh, but we have the elements. You look at any other team. You tell me. You have a Will Myers. You have a Freddie Galvis. Do you have a Hunter Renfro with or without his beard? No. <laughs> we have those people. We have those players. They're strong players. Please name more. Pla- <laughs> name more players, please. <laughs> well, I'll keep going. <laughs> we have all these elements. We're making... You, I'll tell you, the first thing we need to do is to put Will Myers back at first base. He's a first <laughs> base player. That's okay. where he's... <laughs> You know how many times he got hurt at first base? Once in a very common first base injury. Do you know how many times he's been on the DL out in the outfield? I understand we acquired him in the outfield, but we put him at first and he's just rocking it. And he needs to go back to first. Are you through? And the other thing is that I don't think Hunter Renfro should have shaved his beard. (laughs) Congratulations on the wedding, sir. (laughs) 
Good Lord. All right. So that was um, that was our baseball segment. That was of- a painful um just tangent. I don't think so. I mean, I enjoyed it very much. I find it painful. Some of our listeners might enjoy baseball. It's now, America's pastime, so ask yourself why you didn't enjoy it if you didn't. I actually like baseball. Now, <laughs> let's get right to it, okay? Okay. So, our victim was named Kara Evelyn Knott. And That's a sweet name. Yes, it is. It's a nice name. Yeah. She was 20 years old when she was killed. Oh, man. And it was on December 27th, 1986. So we're talking about a Christmas time murder, which all, all murder is sad. But I think when you have the Christmas element, that I think that adds a little extra sadness. Yeah. Um, I think that's a bummer. Um, Just, do you think it's because you're looking at all these happy like elements and decorations and stuff as the background of something well so so sad no i think that what it does to the to the families is it tarnishes a holiday forever for them so kara was a junior at san diego state university and was studying to be a teacher born february 11th 1966 to john aka sam so her father went by sam his middle name and joyce not i like when people go by their middle names it's kind of I a think, fun thing well some i think sometimes i like that okay sometimes it's confusing because then someone's like looks at their driver's license and is like oh hey john like, i've known this person for 20 years who are you no, talking about them john before <laughs> kara was the third of four children in their family Kara's mother remembers her as, quote, tender-hearted. Oh, my gosh. That's the sweetest. She was an artist, an animal lover, and a young woman who, quote, always had time for everybody, Aww. which is really sweet. She ran track for Valhalla High School. She worked summers at the San Diego Zoo and tried to save endangered animals. That's sweet. I mean, if you could describe a sweeter person. I mean, it's just if you could describe the sweetest person. That's, yeah. That's what Kara sounds like. She's like so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. She sounds great. At the time of her death, she was living at home with her parents in El Cajon. El Cajon. Kim knows it well. I I have heard of that before. Which is 16 miles northwest of where she was killed in San Diego. I've heard of San Diego. So it's in that area. Kara had a boyfriend, Wayne Bautista. And over the Christmas weekend, he was sick with the flu. And so she went to go visit him where he lived in Escondido, California. Escondido! Kim knows where that is. My mom used to work in Escondido. Cool story. Thank you. I like your mom. I finally, audience, I want you to know that I have finally met Kim's mom. My mom is very into this. Like, she'll be like, oh, yeah, my friend Stacy. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I love Kim's mom. I knew I would love Kim's mom. (laughs) When I met her, and this is why I love her, when I met her, we hugged, of course, because it's been a long time coming. And she said, I know you do all the work for the podcast. I was like, I love you, Debbie. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. It was great. I couldn't, um, there were too many people in the room yeah. for me to get to you guys to not let this happen. <laughs> so I yeah, did she try my best. To keep me from meeting your mom. Yeah. But it couldn't happen. It was, I was, it literally was just too crowded. Yep. Couldn't do it. It was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's get right back to our sad story here. So at 8 p.m., remember she had, uh, she had gone to visit her sick boyfriend. Kara called her dad to let him know that she was on her way home. So this is 86. So that wasn't going to be on a cell phone. She probably called from her boyfriend's home phone. Yeah. But hours passed and Kara still hadn't made it home. Her parents got worried and they asked the boyfriend, Wayne, if he knew where she was. 
The whole family, including boyfriend Wayne, just decided that they would search through the night. They combed the freeway and each off-ramp between Escondido and the family home where Kara was headed. Knott's mother, Joyce, made countless calls to hospitals and police agencies with no luck at all. Kara's dad scanned construction sites and parking lots in hopes of seeing her somewhere. Mm -hmm. So all night, they're driving around looking for her, which sounds like a miserable, miserable night. Yeah. I mean, that had to have been the worst night of their lives. These are some... By the way, great parents. Absolutely. But just to, hey, it's it's not that long of a drive from Escondido to, where was it? Sorry. El Cajon. To El Cajon, yeah. To El Cajon. It's not that far of a drive. So the fact that they were like, okay, it's been too long. We're going to call. She's not here. Mm-hmm. And just immediately get into action. And I think also Kara, she's described as being just like a sweetheart, a really like motivated young woman and and responsible mm-hmm. and i think they just knew that like because she would check in with her parents and it was out of the ordinary it was out of the ordinary for her yeah smart so finally just before dawn kara's sister cynthia and her husband bill wyke discovered kara's white volkswagen beetle on a deserted looking dead-end street near the mercy road exit of highway i-15 the couple searched the area and quote screamed and yelled for kara but they got no response. Literally chilling. Just Just to think about that. Awful. Okay, so here's her car, but no sign of her. The area where her car was found was under a freeway overpass. It was very remote, and local authorities called it the tomb. because Because it was so dark and ominous. It was different than any other freeway overpass. It was particularly deserted. And this location off the 15 freeway was almost exactly halfway to her home from her boyfriend's house, which is sad because she'd almost made it. She was only about 15 minutes away from home. Oh, that's awful. Her car appeared to be in normal condition, pretty undisturbed. The driver's side window was open halfway with keys in the ignition and Kara's purse was on the seat. What? So nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, that really just seems like a normal, there's no sign of a struggle. She disappeared. Right. Into thin air. Into thin air, yes. Investigators searched the area and eventually, under a bridge right beside the overpass, they came across Kara's uh, body. And upon... The, o- sorry, the investigators found it? The investigators found okay, it. good. Now, the family was there. So they were kind of standing off, off in the background. Mm-hmm. So one investigator came over and spoke with Kara's parents and said, listen, we found her body. She's right over there. So they knew, they knew right when they found her, they were there. Okay. But again, just what an awful moment for them. Yeah. And upon autopsy, it was discovered that there was no evidence of sexual assault and the cause of death was strangulation. Around her neck were ligature marks and a bruise over her right eye. It also appeared that her body had suffered a major fall, likely having been tossed over the 70 foot high bridge her body was found under. Jeez. So she was in, we don't know what order at this point, but at some point her body or she was just thrown over that bridge. Gosh. Nothing in the car was really useful as far as evidence goes, though. Mm -hmm. The only thing of note was a receipt from a Chevron gas station about 15 miles from the crime scene. Mm -hmm. I know Chevron. Yeah. And with Tecron, yes. (laughs) Probably. Okay. At that time, oh. though, at that time, maybe not. I don't know. If, I don't know. It was 86. I'm not sure. Yeah. 
witnesses at the Chevron were interviewed and they said they had seen Kara at the gas station. She filled up her car and left alone. Nothing out of the ordinary to report. On the bridge above where her body was found, skid marks were noted, which appeared to belong to the tires of a large vehicle, larger than average vehicle. Okay. Okay. Like a, uh, like a, like a truck to the desert. It could be. Like yes. A, with a, do, does it measure antennae heights? <laughs> because that's how <laughs> we would an know. Antenna on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a big antenna. What are you doing with that antenna? Where yeah. are you going? What are you doing? To the desert. That's where they're going. Going but to the desert. Oh, my toys. Going to Glamis. Mm. Mm-hmm. 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 Just going to go play in the sand. Yeah, go play in the sand. Yeah. Go to the beach with your car that's not gas guzzling. Okay. <laughs> and it appeared also based on the state of her car that Kara had pulled off the side of the road willingly. Because again, there's no sign of a struggle. So hmm. since her boyfriend Wayne was the last one to see her alive, police questioned him and thought it could have been him. Maybe he had followed her home and asked her to stop and pull over. Ooh. Sorry, Wayne. You got a cool name. But maybe you're not such but, a cool man. Yeah, maybe, yeah, name doesn't dictate how cool you are. And maybe they had been in a fight. Would there have been a motive at all for him to kill his girlfriend? But when he was questioned by police, Wayne said he had stayed sick in bed the rest of the night. Because remember, he had the flu, and that's why Kara went to visit him. Oh, yeah, that's right. And his, his mother confirmed this fact. Okay, mommy says yes. So even though the... Partner, spouse, lover, what have you, will be the first one that investigators want to look at. It didn't really seem, it didn't really seem like he was their guy. So he was cleared eventually. Within a few days, the local news, NBC7, they did a Crime Stoppers special report on Kara's murder. And what they did was they also did a ride-along with a local California Highway Patrol officer to inform the public about how to stay safe on the road. Smart. By basically what he said was, you know, never get into a stranger's car, always call the police for help instead of letting a stranger pick you up. I mean, they were doing their due diligence to not only inform the public about Kara, but then trying to help other people in case something had happened to her. And after 19 days from when Kara went missing, with the help of that show, calls started coming in. Oh, wow, that's great. And police had a suspect, and they were able to make an arrest. Boom, done, case closed. Done deal. Good night, Stacy. always a pleasure to see you. See you later. Georgie, continue sleeping. Yuki, the cat, continue doing whatever you do. I'm gonna take <laughs> off. So this person they arrested? Was a person. Was Wayne. <laughs> no. Okay. It was 36-year-old Craig Allen Pyre of Poway, California is where he lived. I know about Poway. Poway is about 25 miles northwest of San Diego. Okay. Pyre was born March 16th, 1950 in Ramsey, Minnesota to Harold and Eileen Pyre. The family migrated to Southern California and he graduated from Kearney High School in San Diego in 1968, then going on to serve in Vietnam. Did they come here for gold? Well, as yeah, everybody comes to the West for gold. Okay. Definitely. On the Oregon Trail. <laughs> Oregon. He married multiple times. On March 10th, 1973, at age 22, he married 19-year-old Deborah Zalfin in San Diego, California. In 75, they had a daughter named Michelle. Aww. 
But by September of 1978, he was filing for divorce from Deborah. On to the next marriage. He married again at age 33 on May 14th, 1983 to a 25-year-old woman named Karen Mulheisen. But they divorced just a year later. Jesus. Then on July 6th, 1985, at age 35, he gets married for the third and last time to 27-year-old Karen Brown in San Diego, California. This information I got from all my, like, ancestry... Re- I checked public record because <laughs> this it. isn't part of, like... People don't know this about him. I just, like, got it all. I have, like, the marriage record and the divorce record. The marriage record, the divorce record. <laughs> I love how much... <laughs> Of a crazy person you are. Yeah, I don't just research. I, I just try to go deeper. I go as deep as I can. You'll like, <laughs> you'll find their most recent Macy's receipt, <laughs> even though like it has nothing to do with anything. So random. You're like, no, but fucker, you bought a tie. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know, but I'm going to. I'm going to find tie out. Tie it all together. Oh. Well, that's my time. Thank you so much for coming, guys. You're the worst. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was his wife at the time, Karen, the 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 last one that I mentioned there, mm-hmm. his third wife, who reported to police that the night Kara had been killed, her husband came home with scratches on his face, which oh. was really strange. Yeah. And also, fibers on Pyre's clothing were a match for fibers found on Kara's body. As well as fibers found on Pyre's clothing also being a match for those of Kara's purple sweatpants she was wearing that night. Yeah, dude, you're done. So you've got fibers from his clothes on her, fibers from her clothes on him. Come on. Scratch marks. You got scratch marks. Now, the fiber in question that was from Pyre's clothing that matched those found on Kara were a very unique gold color. And get this, okay? Okay. Those fibers come from a very unique piece of material. Okay. That piece of material is a... a Superman suit. <laughs> wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> no, it wouldn't be, and Superman would never. No. The fibers came from a California Highway Patrol patch on his uniform. What does that mean? That means he's a cop. Oh, Shit. Really? Yes. That's bad. So now California Highway Patrol, or CHP, is a division of the police that we have here in the state of California. They are Mm -hmm. police officers, but their main focus is the highways here. So yes, he's a police officer. Oh, shit. Which is really disturbing. Yeah. Now, this makes it worse. Remember that CHP officer who did an interview for the Crime Stoppers news show? Uh huh. And he did a ride along and told people how to stay safe. No, that was Officer Craig Pyre. No. So, uh, that's disgusting. He's just like flaunting it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this dude's a monster. Craig Pyre had worked as a CHP officer for thirteen years. Pyre's performance reports were quote very good and reflected quote outstanding activity. Pyre had a reputation as a very productive, efficient, effective, trustworthy, and professional officer. He was known as an officer who always responded quickly to radio calls and was considered a, quote, very aggressive, hardworking officer. He covered his beat very thoroughly, assisted other officers frequently, end quote. Pyre's supervisors received positive feedback from the public about his work and it selected him. He had been selected for several additional responsibilities, including to act as the officer in charge when a sergeant was unavailable, receive emergency medical technical training and serve as a public affairs officer. So he's very good at his job, very well respected. He's a go getter. And 
And also, it turns out a murderer. Well, uh, sorry, a murder, a murd. You know, you see what I'm trying to do here. I I do, and I it think doesn't you work because like a murderer, but trying to shorten it to murd. He murdered. Oh yeah, he murdered. Well, listen, the formal usted. This, I mean, he's just being investigated for this, Kim. Why would you jump to conclusions? Because I'm mad at him for okay. even just existing okay. right now. <laughs> now, the calls that had come in from that Crime Stoppers segment that was run on the news wasn't because someone had seen Kara or they knew something. It was because they saw this officer and these were women that called in and they called in to say that Officer Pyre, who they recognized on TV, had pulled them over to the side of the road on a routine traffic stop. Uh-uh. But not just to the side of the road. He asked them to exit at Mercy Road off I-15. No. Go down under that overpass in that creepy area Ugh. where Kara's body was found where she was killed. Ugh. He would then get in the passenger seat of their car, which is... So creepy. Not Ugh. like, no. Not okay. And he would question them for about an hour... Ew. Sometimes asking questions that were sexual and inappropriate in nature, Ugh. which is just so these women called in to say like that cop is a creep. Yeah, that cop that I just saw on TV, that dude was so creepy to me. Yeah. And the calls are coming in later. Some fellow officers would actually stand behind him to defend his character, but others would call him out for being a downright creep. Yeah. One in particular said he liked to brag that, quote, there are two people you don't piss off in this world, God and a highway patrolman, and not necessarily in that order. End Ew. Quote. He was also said to be a, quote, hot pencil who kept CHP brass happy by writing more tickets than anybody. Boo. So he's like, you know, I'm so good at my job and I'm going to succeed and do better than everybody. And also I am better than everybody and just, you know, probably a narcissist. Yeah. But Pyre did willingly hand over the uniform he was wearing the night Kara was murdered because San Diego PD decided we're going to investigate this and we're going to take it seriously, which is very admirable on their part. Yeah, absolutely. Because it would be very easy for a police department to completely cover that entire thing up. So Pyre willingly handed over the uniform he was wearing the night Kara was murdered because San Diego, San Diego PD decided they would start investigating him right away. And found on Kara's body was that very distinctive looking gold fiber that I told you about. When looked at using the help of forensic specialists, both fibers not only looked the same, but they were the same very rare type, this gold fiber, which mm -hmm. was rayon, which that's the kind of material mm -hmm. that was not dyed, but instead pigmented. Now, this process of pigmenting rayon fiber was something that was no longer done and would be very rare to come across at that time. So the match was very clear, and it was compared to patches on other officers' uniforms, but it only matched Pyre's patch on his Bye, uniform. Pyre. So it's a very, it's a very good match. Yeah. Now, purple fibers from her sweatpants, from Kara's sweatpants, like I mentioned before, were found on Pyre's police boots and gun, which were analyzed and came back as a direct match to Kara's sweatpants she was wearing that night. So this is pretty. This is, this is pretty good hard forensic evidence. Here. Yeah. When his vehicle was sprayed with luminol to see if there were traces of blood, nothing came up. But found in the trunk under the spare tire was a yellow nylon rope. Ugh. And when analyzed by a forensic odontologist, the width of that rope compared to the width of the ligature marks on Kara's neck were an exact match. I mean, so it's a no-brainer. So why are you hiding a rope under your spare tire? That yeah. seems odd. Probably because you're a creep. Probably. 
On Kara's boot was one small drop of blood, which at that time wouldn't have been checked for DNA because it's too early for that. 86, we're not really doing that at that point. Mm-hmm. You got to give it a couple years before that technology is, is available and, and widely used. But at that time, they did look at blood type. And it turned out that the blood type was AB, which is the rarest type in the U.S., The rarity of this blood type meant that it it excluded 99.4% of the population. (laughs) So it's not a perfect DNA match, but it's still, when you combine it with this other evidence. I mean, it's just funny because it's like literally the most, it's, I guess, circumstantial. Yes. No. I don't know how that works, but no, it is funny that it's like, and this it's the most rare thing in the entire world. Yes. And that's a match. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now, Craig Pyre had, in fact, been working the night that Kara was killed, but his logbook showed that he was several miles away at 930 p.m. when she was killed and he was writing a traffic ticket. Okay. Okay. When he was questioned, Pyre had scratches on his forehead and bruising on his forearm, which was what his wife had also stated that she had seen. But Pyre explained the scratches away as having coming from him having fallen onto a fence at the police station <laughs> the same night that Kara was killed. This guy's an idiot. Now, how do you how are you falling on a fence? At the police station, I'm not really clear on this. No, that's such a stupid... Come up with a better excuse, at least. I mean... I felt on a fence. What? What does that mean? Now, the, this fence was analyzed and looked at, and it didn't... The, the height of the fence and the, the injury location on his face, it, it didn't even match up. Because that's not... A th- it's a stu- That's a stupid thing to say. That's a stupid thing. And closer inspection of that logbook showed that the traffic ticket he wrote at 930... Underneath it were erase marks. Clearly something had been erased and he wrote over it that he was writing a traffic ticket oh. at 930. So it looks like he's covering up his actual location at 930. I wonder what he originally wrote, like 930 Mercy Road murdering. <laughs> Maybe. And then was like, oh, wait. Ooh, oh, I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't put that. Ticket. Of course. Now, remember the abnormally wide tire marks found on the bridge? Yes, for desert going Indeed. (laughs) Well, the distance was 53 inches apart, which was exactly the distance between tires on a police cruiser. Oh, shit. Interesting. And the bruising, now the police cruiser at that time, you know, they use different vehicles. They'll switch out what the type of vehicle is that, that officers use. But at that time, it was a match for the type of vehicle they were using. And the bruising above Kara's eye matched the size and shape of a standard issue police flashlight. Ugh. So just 21 days after Kara's murder, Officer Greg Pyre was charged with first degree murder. Bye, Greg. Now, this is pretty good because considering that when a police officer commits a crime, it could be easy for them to cover it up. But the San Diego PD... They didn't do that. That's because we're America's finest. That's right. <laughs> that's literally the motto of the town, America's finest. Is it? America's finest city. Okay. Google it. Okay. No, thanks. Okay. I'm just, <laughs> you don't have to. I'm just telling you. Now, in May of 1989, he was actually even fired from the CHP altogether. So they're like, we want nothing to do with you. You're out of here. The theory goes that Officer Pyre was, he first noticed Kara pumping gas at that Chevron station. Then he followed her to his favorite area to stop women. He has her pull over, but then asks her with his loudspeaker. Now, this is their theory, the prosecution's theory. Okay. But asks her over the loudspeaker for her to take the exit and go down below the overpass and park there. 
When he tries to get in the car with her, they theorize that things might have gotten out of hand. Pyre eventually hits Kara over the head with a flashlight, and then he strangles her with that rope so that she can't be a witness to him being a creep, essentially. Next, he likely picked up her dead body, placed it on the hood of his patrol car so as not to leave any hair, fibers, any evidence inside his car left from her gotcha and drives back up to the top of the bridge which and which left those tire marks up there then he tosses her body 70 feet over the bridge and drives away potentially trying to make it look like she had just fallen yeah off a bridge now pyre doesn't make any sense it does it doesn't and it, it just the whole situation is really awful and i think he panicked and was like let me try to cover this up but really he did a terrible job of covering yeah. it it was clear that she died from strangulation not a fall so why did you throw the body i think he must have panicked and who knows yeah now pyre would go on trial two separate times the first trial which ended in february of 1988 resulted in a deadlock jury they were 7 to 5 to convict so it was close to a conviction, but they couldn't do it. Yeah. It has so to be 100%? It does. It has to be feeling 100? For this type of trial, yes, it does. Okay. So he had to be tried again. Okay. And the next trial began later that year in June. About 24 young women testified that Pyre stopped wow. them at night for minor traffic, traffic violations at that same desolate off-ramp where Kara was killed. 24 women. That's crazy. And also good for them. Absolutely. So brave. The women, many of whom were allowed without being given a ticket, said they were held for up to an hour and 40 minutes and asked about their personal lives. One story. Terrifying moment. Absolutely. One story in particular went like this. On November 26, 1986, so just one month before Kara was murdered, a mother, Perry Kurtz, spoke with CHP operations officer Daniel Mark about an incident which occurred two days earlier. Mrs. Kurtz told Mark that while her 23-year-old daughter was driving southbound on I-15, an officer, who was later identified as Pyre, turned on his red light and directed her to exit the freeway at Mercy Road off-ramp. Kurtz said she objected that the officer took a young girl such as her daughter off the freeway into a dark and very isolated area. Kurtz said the officer seemed concerned about a problem with her daughter's headlights because it could cause a problem in the summertime when trucks lose their treads. Kurt said, that's strange because here it is November and he's concerned about summertime. Yeah. Kurtz, the mother, further explained that the officer asked her daughter to get out of the car to look at the headlights, then told her to turn off her headlights. Kurt said, Mm -mm. there again, it made it even darker having the lights turned out. This just didn't seem like normal procedure to her. Yeah. And she basically, she said, what I'm checking with you is to see if this is standard operating procedure. Uh, Sounds like no. When CHP operations officer Daniel Mark responded by stating that officers had the discretion to require persons to exit the freeway because of the danger from other vehicles, Kurt said, it's one thing to be on the shoulder. It's another thing to drive down onto the exit ramp onto a dark, isolated area. Yeah. Mark ended the conversation by stating that, quote, we'll find out who the officer was on the beat that night. We'll get back to you. So two days later, someone higher up, Sergeant John McDonald. McDonald's. McDonald. (laughs) Of the McDonald's franchise? Yeah. No. Uh, You say Ronald? No. Okay. 
He was one of Pyre's supervisors. He calls the mother back, Perry Kurtz. She told McDonald that she was concerned about and didn't like her daughter being taken down the Mercy Road exit. Sergeant McDonald responded that Officer Pyre was right and did a good job, and that making traffic stops off the freeway is standard operating procedure. McDonald explained, it's in the interest of safety that the procedure is such as it is. When McDonald asked the mother if she wanted to file a complaint, she responded, no, I'm complaining, but I don't think it's necessary. So her daughter probably wasn't creeped out. Maybe her daughter was like, that was weird, mom. Like, let me tell you about it. And the mom's like, oh, no, that was... No, I'm concerned and makes this call. But the supervisor is like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Now, Pyre did not testify at either of his criminal trials, nor did he ever speak to the press. Because he's super guilty. Oh, yeah. He later told a probation officer, though, that he had had long conversations with women he stopped on Mercy Road because he loved people. He said he ordered drivers to the isolated location off of the freeway for safety reasons. Ew. I mean, yeah, sure. Cool. That makes sense. Yeah, but Pyre's wife, Karen, did testify that she had seen her husband with those scratches on his face the night Kara was killed, but stood by him and let the jury know that she felt he was completely innocent. Nothing to see here. Stand by your man. Ugh. Make better choices, guys. So the trial was finally over. And on August 3rd, 1988, Pyre became the first California Highway Patrol officer to be convicted of first-degree murder while on duty. Suck it. (laughs) (laughs) Superior Court Judge Richard Huffman, who presided over both trials for Pyre, he struggled to maintain his composure while before imposing the sentence. Mm -hmm. The judge was particularly angered by Sergeant John McDonald, who had told the mother that basically there's nothing to worry about our officer is doing his job and doing his due diligence the judge was particularly angry about that yeah oh i love when judges get fired up yeah he was definitely fired up about it and ultimately said that you wouldn't have a murder on your hands if it wasn't for this negligent supervisor nice ultimately craig pyre was then sentenced to 25 years to life in prison but he would be eligible for consideration for parole after serving 17 years and eight months. Now, years later, with the advancement of DNA forensic science, Science? the the district attorney requested a DNA sample from Pyre for the Innocence Project, a program that's backed by the DA's office to reexamine old cases with new technology to ensure that justice prevails. It's something Mm -hmm. that they just do. So they offer it to Craig Pyre, Mm -hmm. but he declined what this is truly shocking information i mean why we if you basically have said you're innocent yeah and then said nothing else about it what i would be jumping at that yes analyze the dna please Um, unless unless you're not innocent yes so clearly the i think the decision of a guilty man and when asked about this at one of his parole hearings he refused to explain why he declined the dna test just don't want to yeah it's like okay so then in 2004 2008 and 2012 pyre faced the parole board to seek early release but he was denied every single time good which is great in 2012 the parole board imposed the longest amount of time they possibly could before he could appear before them again and that would be 15 years which will be in 2027 do you think they did it just because they were like get out of here here just 15 years i don't you're a weird dude i don't want to be around you yeah they're like you suck we don't like you yeah 
He remains in custody at the California Men's Colony, a state prison in San Luis Obispo. Let's go and spit on him. No, thanks. Okay. (laughs) Now, in 1994, Kara's family sued the state of California for wrongful death, meaning they wanted to hold the police force accountable for the loss of their daughter, and they were awarded $7.5 million in compensatory damages. Just what a difficult thing, because obviously, of course, they made the right choice. The police should be held accountable. Yes. Because it's not just one rogue officer and then everybody else... You know, there was uh, somebody in charge of him that was saying what he did was okay. And, yeah. they, you know, they kind of helped boost him up a little bit. Yeah. But also, what do you do with that money? Yeah, it's not like money that you're, like, stoked to be receiving, I wouldn't think. Yeah. And in the aftermath of Kara's murder, the public, especially female drivers, felt on edge. Some women were even getting themselves arrested for not agreeing to pull over for a police officer in an area that they felt was safe. Yeah. Because... Um, the the law is that when a police officer pulls you over, you have to pull over where they tell you. You have no choice. If you say, scary. I don't feel safe here, I want to pull over somewhere else, you're breaking the law and you will be arrested. That's scary. It is. So Kara's father, Sam, he lobbied successfully for a bill that would change the law and allow motorists to not have to pull over where the police officer tells them if they do not feel safe nice. in that area. The bill, unfortunately, though, it died in the state Senate and no legislation was ever passed. So it's still against the law for you to say, hey, Kappa, I don't want to pull over here. (laughs) Now, you could probably ask for that and they could say, "Okay, sure. But if you try to say, like, no, I refuse to pull over, you will be arrested. You're getting arrested. Ooh, car chase. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be bad news. And it's sad. It's sad that women were getting arrested over this because they were all fearful. They're like, wow, we can't trust cops right now. Yeah. Which is really sad. And at the location where Kara was killed, the bridge has been named in her honor and a little memorial and garden has been set up there. The road where she was killed has been renamed Caraway, which is sweet. And it was Kara's grieving father, Sam Knott, who lobbied for almost 10 years to have that area dedicated to his daughter, like the little park and little Mm -hmm. area. That's really sweet. And, and finally, in 1996, the site was officially dedicated as the Kara Knott Memorial Oak Garden. And it was rededicated in 1999 as the San Diego Crime Victims Memorial Garden, which means now it's a place for other grieving families to find solace. They can come there and there's like little stones that have other victims' names and other families can it's come there. Sweet. Which is really sweet. Yeah. And then in that same year, Sam Knott, he transplanted several oak saplings that the family had grown from acorns in their backyard. He brought those over to that site and planted them which is just so sweet so sweet now sadly on november 30th 2000 while tending to his daughter's memorial garden john sam Knott suffered a heart attack and died and it was right where his daughter died and family members said they would say that sam would have wanted it that way to be right there where he couldn't be to protect his daughter to live out his last moments which is really heartbreaking yeah it's heartbreaking yeah so that's the story Okay. It's very sad. Yeah. Shocking that it was a police officer. I yeah. Think that, that is the worst part about it. I mean, it's all terrible, but I think it's the worst part because you're supposed to trust, trust. police officers. Yeah. 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 What are your thoughts? Man, I have a lot of thoughts. First of all, fabric, you know? <laughs> gold fibers. G- gold fibers. There's, oh, they did come here for the gold. The gold fibers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Tied it all together. It did tie it all together. Um, I think uh, it's really unfortunate that this guy was a police officer. Yeah. Because they're, um, you know, my feelings on police are complicated. 
at at best but you know <laughs> at the end of the day a the majority of officers go into that job because they want to be of service to their community and and the people in their community and it's really unfortunate that you have these people that shouldn't be police officers they shouldn't be in a position of power yeah um and and there's many different examples current modern day examples there's cases like this where the abuse of power is one just awful and heartbreaking to think about and and very very dangerous Mm because the amount of power that they have very dangerous when put in the wrong hands yeah and then you also have a few bad really bad people that are kind of ruining it for everybody else including people that need to rely on them for help and safety because look at all these women that were like i'm not pulling over right like they're getting in trouble now because or they were getting in trouble because they are not sure if they're safe right that's really sad i think the bad apple analogy that is made regarding a lot of the issues that we have with police right now that doesn't apply there it applies here i feel like this isn't systemic this isn't like an yeah ins- like, this yeah. isn't a problem that's pervasive with police departments this is an actual bad apple yeah and the san diego pd did the right thing by immediately addressing it and immediately firing this man and not holding back basically and th- totally, totally right. That was is, a poor analogy on my part. No, 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 no. I'm not saying I wasn't. Oh, saying, no, I agree. I'm saying like, you're, yeah. you're right. Like it, it is. It's it, it's not a systemic thing. A lot of problems that we have right now are a systemic problem right. that but needs it gets, to be fixed. It but. gets explained away as a bad apple thing where I don't mm-hmm. agree. I, I just personally don't agree with that. I think this is an example of a bad apple. Yeah. That's what I think. Well, thanks, Kim, for coming to my house and no talking problem. murder with me. Always a weird thing. Yes. Yeah. How can you find us? Very easy, On actually. social media, please. Very easy to please. find us. Just go to Georgie and say, Georgie. Georgie, look- our podcast mascot, my little doggie. Yeah, Georges, go to the internet and put on KimDonesNothing.com. And Georgie says, arf, arf, which is okay. <laughs> and then also you can just look at who Georgie's following on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Because yes. it's Kim Knows Nothing. That's true. We're at Kim Knows Nothing to make it easy for Georgie to and you guys to find us. That's right. Yeah. Leave us a review. It really helps us. Mm-hmm. Five stars, preferably. Or, yeah, preferably five stars. We hope we're giving you five-star content. Yes. And again, I want to say, if you want to rate us one star, <laughs> right before you hit submit, <laughs> just take a second and think, we only see so many sunsets. <laughs> Do you want to waste your time on something you're only going to give one star? In general, <laughs> a meal, get a different meal. Right. Well, you don't want to be wasteful. A book. Stop the book in the middle of the book and get a different book. Right. I agree. TV show. You're not feeling it. You're not quite sure. You don't need to watch the series finale. It's time to stop. Right. It's okay. It's okay to say, I only have so many sunsets. I agree. And I'm not going to waste my time watching half of a show that I'm not super into. It's a good way to describe it. All right, everyone. <laughs> thanks for listening. We love having you. Yeah, yeah. We'll see we you do. next week. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.